Well, hi everyone. I'm Mark Gagan from The Voice of Insurance. And I'm here to talk to Sheila Cameron, the CEO of the LMA, that's the Lloyd's Market Association, about one of the really most interesting and, and important parts of the Lloyd's Blueprint One, which is what we've all come to know now as lead follow, but uh, it's really all about reforming the way that the Lloyd's Market is syndicated. So, um, Sheila, well, thanks very much for coming to speak to us today um, and letting me talk to you. Um, why don't you sort of lay out what what some of the background to all of this uh, reform is, uh, why we need it, and also what's the LMA's role, as we'll explain your role in, in, in the governance and design of this change. Thanks, Mark. So um, we th- the history of, the, of Lead Follow all starts back around this time last year, around November 2018 when Bruce Carnegie Brown gave a lecture at the Insurance Institute where he spoke about um, his view of the market going forward and and, and what it should look like. So he spoke about how non-traditional capital is already disrupting our market and and in his view it's here to stay because insurance is a non-correlated asset class with the bond and equity markets. He also spoke about how, uh, in his to his mind, non-traditional capital has already figured out how to piggyback on the insurer's IP via, via the ILS market. And so therefore what he said, he felt that he needed to see, or we as a market needed to see, differentiation between leader and follower returns by harnessing alternative capital in, in a way that enhances our IP when we perform the, the leader role. So that's where all of this originally came from. And then I uh, I joined the LMA uh, just under a year ago now. And when I came in uh, together with Andrew Brooks as the chairman of the LMA, we started talking about what we wanted to achieve whilst we were, uh, whilst we're here in the LMA. And we, we spoke a lot around underwriting discipline and how important that is um, to the LMA and how important it is to drive it forward. So through conversations with John Hancock and Bruce and, and others and John Neal, we started talking around what could we do with Lead Follow uh, and was there an opportunity to help uh, drive the underwriting discipline message forward through, the, uh, through a new Lead Follow model. So, so that's where the history of it of it comes from, um, and we we decided uh, within the LMA that w- we wanted to drive home the message of underwriting discipline, and this was a way that we thought uh, could potentially be an interesting way of driving it forward. So, your role uh, to clarify, what's your role in this? Obviously, this is uh, you and John Hancock, really, isn't it? Um, What's the what's the LMA specific role? So our our role on this is working closely with Lloyd's around figuring out what do we want the standards to be, and what do we think makes a good underwriter or a good claims uh, function or a strong reg and compli- regulatory and compliance function in the market. What should that look like? So what we're our involvement is to help work with Lloyd's around defining what those standards look like. But that's as far as our role goes. Thereafter, it will be down to individual managing agents and Lloyds to to work through that process to define who who is a leader, who isn't, how that gets authorised, which which we can come on to in a few minutes about about all of that. 
So it's not your role to be starting to say who's who's good and who isn't. That's 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 Mr. Hancock's department, right? Absolutely not our role. Well, I, I would say it, or we at the LMA would say it in the first instance to be d- down to the individual managing agents to decide whether they meet the standards or not in being a leader or a follower. Uh, and it's up to them in the first instance. Thereafter, then it will come most likely to Lloyd's as part of the business planning process to then um, uh, approve, just as they do with business plans today, as to whether one uh, writes a particular class or not. And now that will just be split down to the next level, looking at whether one leads or follows in that class. So if, if someone had just sort of, um, you know, uh, just come down from the planet Mars, um, give us a bit of an overview of how lead and follow would work and I also read something about um, there is a limited lead uh, status as well so if you can just run us through those sort of categories and what they what they mean under this proposed regime so fundamentally what the objective is of lead follow is number one to raise um, standards across the market and that's standards as they pertain to underwriting claims as well as compliance stroke regulatory and number two it's about creating a more efficient model so that so those is are the that, two is objectives. Is that in that order? Yes, and it is absolutely critical that they are in so it's that standards order. Standards first, costs second. Absolutely, standards first. And you'll see as, as as we go on to talk about the implementation and the rollout that we're talking about for this, that the it, we are focusing first of all on standards rather than a process process efficiency first. So w- what is it is about is we will articulate, working with Lloyd's, the LMA will, uh, uh, and the market, to define what makes a really strong leader, what makes a good leader in a, in a particular class. Uh, and when, I, when we speak to um, particularly a, cro- a selection of underwriters of, across a particular class, very often they will be able to say to me that it's, it's Mary and Joe and Pat and those are the three top underwriters in this class. And we know that. So the work that we're doing is trying to, uh, trying to, to, to clarify what exactly is that and can we, can we articulate what that is in a, in a series of objective standards rather than just, well, we know Mary and Joe and Pat are brilliant. Uh, how can we articulate what they do into a set of objective standards for leaders? How do we articulate that, not just in underwriting, but also in, in the other two areas I've, I've mentioned earlier? Similarly, then when it comes to follow business, how do we make it simpler and easier to follow? How do we reduce the standards that we have today? Uh, And I hadn't appreciated until I started getting into into the muck and bullets of all of this that actually where we are today with minimum standards is that there are over 700 minimum standards that a managing agent must meet. And that's you know, that, that, that has become too much. So wh- what can we do to focus that back down to a series of outcome-based measures for both leaders and followers? And that might be, for example, um, as a leader standard in a particular class, it may be that one has to evidence that one has been consistently profitable over a period of time in that particular class. You know, and, and, and this isn't um, uh, us making that up. This is the PRA's letter earlier, dear, dear CEO letter earlier this year, sorry, just a few months ago, a few weeks ago, saying that you know they, they still see firms that are struggling to achieve um, underwriting profit and they haven't yet completed their remediation work and they expect that done. So... This is the regulator as well calling for that. Profitable underwriting over a period is would it be something like three years or something? Is that a, is that something that uh, you know 
number one that you'd put up? Put up I, there? I think it needs to be one of the leader standards, absolutely. I think it is down to a firm to define what consistently profitable means over a period of time. I think we need to, we need to, we, we could, for example, say, is it three years, is it five years? I don't, I don't know yet what that answer would be. Um, but I think a firm should define what consistently profitable is. Um, you know, there will be debates. Should that be on a year and account basis? Should it be on a gap basis? And we, we, c we can go through all of those conversations, but that's what we're trying to get to, is how do we articulate a series of outcomes that drive what makes a good leader today? And then working, uh, uh, then going back to firms, to managing agents and saying, now you measure yourself against this and you decide if you meet those standards and you decide if you want to lead in that class. So the, that's the w so the way it would work wouldn't be that um, you have a kind of preordained list of leaders. Um, you just you put your business plan in as normal. You have a lot of to and fro with, uh, with you know, with, with Mr. Hancock and his department. And, you know, part of it says I'm a leader in PA. And you may have a discussion around that, and they may say you're not a leading PA, I presume, and, and and you'll say well I am, and and, and you you do lots of uh, uh, you back and forth about that. Is that how it works? And then it will be decided before obviously before coming into line and everything else that you're that you you are a leader after all, or you're not. Um, but it's so it is actually up for the individual managing agent to decide which one they're going to try for uh, and that status. Yeah, it, it is down to each managing agent, just as they do today. Each managing agent today self-attests against the minimum standards as to whether they meet those standards or not. And that's the process that will continue under lead follow. One will self-attest whether one meets lead standards or follow standards in each class of business. That's the intention that a firm will choose. Then when it comes to business planning, again, just as, as today, a firm will choose they're going to write cargo and hull and, mm. and marine liability in their, in, their, in their marine book. Then that goes into business planning. It's the exact same process that we're talking about here, except when one submits one's marine liability uh, plan numbers, they will be split between lead and follow. As it happens, firms already split when they split that information when they do their PMD submissions and business plan submissions today. So it isn't any additional work. And the PMD just... So it's PMD is a I'm performance trying to management I'm department. I'm on a crusade against three-letter <laughs> abbreviations. It's the performance management department, which yes. is John Hancock's team. Good, good, good. Um, when that happens, say you get uh, your approval to be uh, a leader in a class of business uh, you know, for the next upcoming year, um, then does that become a transparent thing? That can that be something you can that is now a flag you can wave around. You could put it on your business card and say, you know, I'm a PA leader at Lloyd's. Should one wish that's completely down to the firm to decide that that's what they want to do? And then then then, that, then they they can choose to do that. Then how long is that status? Um, conferred upon you is that just one underwriting year so i think it, it this is why it's very important to articulate the standards quite clearly so for example as i, as I said uh, one of the standards might be that one is consistently profitable in a particular class of business over a period of time now what does consistently profitable mean if you have one very bad year or a very cat exposed year or one claim that has gone badly wrong and, and it is um uh, throwing the combined ratio over 100 in that particular class for on a one-off year, then one should be able to manage to that. So um, it should be. This is why it needs to be down to the firm themselves, the managing agent themselves, to decide what that looks like and to decide what does, for example, a standard that is consistently profitable. What does that mean? And do we feel that this class is consistently profitable for us? Right. Okay. But uh, it's probably worth going into that then. So what are the sort of Sadly, of course, um, 
the you know uh, uh, reality you know in the reality of the world then presumably businesses will have uh, situations where they've been a leader and where they've lost that consistent profitability whether perhaps were either they've decided themselves that they're not going to be that anymore or uh, and uh, or perhaps where a situation where the where the Lloyds has decided that that they're not going to be a leader anymore and they're going to withdraw that uh, leadership uh, status from them what will happen then is there a sort of sunset provision um for you know is it all going to be done by underwriting year, for example? I mean, what about the claims as well? I'm just thinking aloud about those sort of uh, consequences. So it's no different to what happens today. So if a syndicate closes down today or closes down a particular class of business, as, as what happens today, if that's what their choice is, then there needs to be runoff provisions put in place for the management of yeah. those claims, for the handling of endorsements that come in um, on any live policies. So that's what happens today, and we would see no difference uh, in terms of if one decided to move from being a lead to being a follow, one still needs to manage and handle the endorsements and claims associated with the business one has previously written. Again, no different to today. Right. Um, what about all uh, the con- some of the consequences of, uh, uh, of the changes? For example, uh, leaders, uh, what's the incentive? Um, we assume that they're going to get either preferential terms uh, on the slip or they're going to get a fee from the followers and well presume it is from the followers and not from anybody else is that is that the way it's going to work so uh, i think we need to um uh, take a look at what how this might be implemented so uh, and then i can answer i can uh, demonstrate the answer to that question so the 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 plan is that we would choose one class of business next year that would go in that would be run as a proof of concept uh in the first half of next year and then that particular class would go into business planning next year to then go live in january 2021 for the process and that'd be one class that would be one that's the target that's the target for next year so this is not going to be all things to 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 all people straight away so we, we would look at one class now as I said, the overarching goal here, the number one goal is around standards. So we will focus on just putting in place the standards in the first instance. So the process will remain the exact same. A broker will come in, they will broke a risk to a leader, they will then broke the risk to followers on that particular, uh, for, for that particular risk. So the process doesn't change, it's just there are defined leaders um, in that particular class. Now, we would then expand it across uh, additional classes. There is an, before any efficiency comes in or any leader remuneration comes in, um, we think that there we need to have the systems in place of the complex platform and the risk exchange need to be in place before we start uh, driving out some of the efficiencies that we hope to gain as a secondary benefit. So of everything's lead, all linked follow. together, basically. So they are all linked together and as part the, of future the capital Lloyd's. provision as well. Absolutely, ultimately, yeah. yes. Um, as as I, as I said at the very beginning, around Bruce's um, view of that, of where that could ultimately end up, and alternative capital coming in at some sort of follower position in, in the future. But I think that's that's quite a bit away yet from from where we are today so what what we want to do is focus on the standards keep the process the same but focus on the standards then get the systems in place and when those systems are in place the critical point here is that one can choose as a follower one can choose to rely on the leader data so you could say every time there is a red box on a blue ship sailing across the atlantic i want a p- and it's led by Ascot or whomever, I want to follow on that particular risk. 
So I will always take a 10% line or whatever it may be on that sort of a risk. And one can articulate, use the systems to articulate one's risk appetite, including a risk appetite by who your leader is. So then one can rely on that data provided by let's say Ascot in this particular scenario, uh, provided by the Ascot lead underwriter and just take that data and pump it into your own systems in a follow position. So one doesn't need to sit there and have an underwriting assistance enter all that data into your policy administration system. One doesn't need, again, an underwriting assistant sitting there to enter all the data into an aggregation system. One doesn't need additional compliance checks carried out because one can rely on those that have been carried out by the leader. So in that scenario given the benefit that will hit, come to followers, we think there should be some form of re- remuneration to the leader for that work that the leader will have done. So that's what that's where leader remuneration will come in. I think that's a couple of years down the line yet, but we do think that where the leader provides those services and the follower chooses to take them, because it will always be a choice, the follower chooses to take those, then there should be some re- remuneration for the leader. So you will be able to have followers who are sort of leader followers, if you sort of, I mean, I suppose leaders can follow other leaders, and that's that's it's not unheard of. Yep. Um, and they could can, they could opt to, because they've got the infrastructure, they could uh, do some of the, the checks and uh, know your customer, anti-sanctions, Absolutely. and all sorts of things that they might want to Yeah, anti-money to laundering, sanctions. Uh, is, I think sanctions is one that is, is probably the, the hairy one in this, because... Particularly those that may have a U.S. parent versus a uh, at a group level versus a European parent, one may have a different risk appetite as it pertains to sanctions. So, so, so leaving that one particular one aside for the moment, there is anti-money laundering. There's know your customer. There's conduct risk. There's a whole series of checks that happen. Another example is uh, when one sets up a binder at the moment. As leaders and followers, we all go through these countless checks of getting the cover holder set up on the right systems and then ensuring that they meet the standard in, in the um, board rows that they submit. And we're all doing the same work. And when it's, you know, it's a mom and pop store in Louisiana and you're asking them for their business continuity plan seven times for the, for the seven participants on that risk, that's, that's not an efficient way forward. So this is... When it gets to that point, this will be very much about efficiency and trying to strip out some of those administrative duplicative activities. So, um, so looking ahead in a few years' time, when you know when when leaders are being remunerated for these uh, services that they're knocking out on behalf of the followers, uh, does that change the their relationship with those followers? Uh, let's look at it from the leader's perspective. Are they going to be liable to those followers? Are, are they going to owe them some duty of care or some fiduciary duty? And could those followers therefore be, because they're paying for some services, uh, are they, uh, or, and are they going to be entitled to pay for leadership in terms of, you know, i.e. leadership, uh, if the business suddenly becomes very unprofitable, might they then have a case? Uh, but perhaps more on really obvious things like, you know, if, they, if the leader is supposed to be doing a sanctions check and it fails and it was leaders, clearly the leader didn't do it properly or there was a, you know, made a mistake. Is it, how is this going to change the, 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 a contractual relationships between leaders and followers, or if, or is it just not going to change at all? Um, but anyway, I'd really, really interested to, to explore that. Actually, it'd be quite interesting. Yeah, I, I think that that's a common question I get around the degree of liability in the future between the le- uh, of the leaders to to followers, and in discussions with Lloyd's around this, we, we they're of the view, and, and I share this view that 
if a leader is being paid to provide services, there are there is a certain amount of liability and responsibility that comes. It becomes a professional. It becomes a professional act. service that's that yeah. that is being provided. And you know, speaking with the PRA and FCA, they would see that as being. Uh, a material outsource under Solvency 2 conditions. So is there a liability? There absolutely is. But this already happens in our marketplace on the claims side, where you have a single claims agreement party. And so you know what, what we have on the claims side is we have a claim scheme that articulates that there's a limit of liability um, uh, from the leaders to the, to the followers in that scenario. So what, we, what, we, what we're working through and debating with Lloyds is to say, well, should there be a similar underwriting scheme uh, that limits that liability? But there will certainly be some, um, it, there will be an impact on a carrier's uh, errors and emissions policy from that perspective um, because of the, and their, and their DNO policies to ensure that they cover at least up to the, whatever that limit of liability might be. Um, and from the follower's perspective, does it change uh, perhaps their capital position if they're now delegating more authority than they would have been otherwise or has that been thought through? Uh, potentially, it could. I, I, I don't think it should. It should have. I don't think it should have a huge effect. But we we think potentially it could. But we're, we're working that through at the moment. Okay. Um, what do the regulators think about all this? Um, you know, uh, PRA, FCA. Uh, are there any concerns from from from? You know, they've. I'm sure they've, they would have seen your sort of initial plans. Uh, any eyebrows raised there, or? So I, th I think the PRA and FCA have been really helpful actually to date. So I've had conversations with both uh, organisations, just exploring what their thoughts might be be around this, and they have been incredibly open about it, and they uh, open to ideas around it. They have concerns, of course they do, um, uh, and and I wouldn't expect otherwise. They have concerns around competition. Will it, will we maintain a, s a sufficient amount of of competition? You know, will we um, how will how will this ultimately reduce costs and by how much? Um, how will this help in terms of their goal of, of you know one of their stated goals in the dear CEO letter around ensuring that the industry returns to profitability? So they are supportive and open, uh, and it's been a real uh, honestly it's been quite a, uh, a pleasurable experience talking to them about this, about debating the ideas and what we could do differently in this marketplace. They've been open engaged, helpful throughout this process to date. And perhaps more importantly, um, the brokers. I mean, historically, of you know, Lloyd's 300-plus year history, it's the brokers that have actually decided who the leaders mm -hmm. are mm -hmm. uh, by putting them first on their slip. Um, what's been their initial reaction? So, so I think the brokers are concerned about having enough choice for their clients, um, which is which is a fair concern, and I, and I get that. But what we're saying is that that this is why we need to make it the choice of the individual managing agent as to whether they want a lead or not in a class. They need to decide. The managing agent needs to decide whether that's the right thing for them and, and whether they offer the right outcome for those clients. So I think there's some concern from the broken community around that aspect of it. But I think there's also a lot of interest around making the model more efficient. So instead of a broker having to go around to all 10 carriers on a risk, if there are 10, they will only need to go to one potentially in the future. But to make that work, I think we also need to look at the consortium model overall and how can we make that consortium model, you know, pump that up, put that on steroids, make that easier for everyone involved, particularly leaders, um, such that when you are a broker, then you only need to go to one carrier because the, uh, the followers have been packaged up as part of a consortium. So how can we make that easier for the market as well and therefore make it easier for brokers? Because at the end of the day, what we want to do is reduce costs for everyone in the chain, including the end 
client. Um, we talk about costs. Obviously, it's uh, it, you said it's not all about costs. Obviously, costs is, is secondary, but it is a big it's a big theme in the marketplace. I mean, we know that uh, you know it's a, it's a very important theme in the whole of Blueprint One that Lloyd's knows it needs to get the cost of business down. What are the dangers um, with this? That uh, some of those cost savings. Uh, I'd say for a follower, are they just eaten up by the leader's fee straight away? And so there's no net benefit for them. And what about the, if there's any increased bureaucracy around this deciding about whether you're allowed to be a leader or not? Um, so I don't think it's about Lloyd's allowing people to be leaders. Well, it's about oh, firms choosing whether they want to lead then, in a particular yeah, But then class. approving that leadership yeah, status which, for that. Which just yeah. happens today as part of the of the business planning yeah. process. So it's just a an extra step in the bus- in the in the in the bu- business planning process. But I think it's a very fair challenge around if this you know if. Albeit a secondary benefit, if a secondary benefit is about reducing cost, how do we make sure that it's just not replaced by leader fees? So if it is an X percentage um, reduction in cost, but the, that happens to match the the cost of a of some form of leader remuneration, then you know we 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 need to look again at that, and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen through this model. So there m- needs to be sufficient cost savings elsewhere that it's those cost savings are greater than whatever a leader's remuneration might be, and that's work that that we need to do in a lot of detail yet. Um, one of the most common worries that uh, you know that I, people I'm talking to um, uh, articulate to me when if they're worried about about this is. What about smaller businesses within Lloyd's? Um, is this going to be the death knell for them? Are they just going to have to go out of business? I think that's a common um, uh, issue I've heard raised as well. Um, so I've heard a, um, a number of small and mid-sized players say, well, will this make Lloyd's only for the bigger players because they're the ones who can afford to um, uh, hire the best talent in to, to lead in a particular class? Um, and this is why one of the key points for us is one one part of this new model must be a new consortium model on steroids that makes consortia easier to run and that makes those smaller and mid-sized players capable of leading those consortia in their niche areas and packaging up the, the followers behind them. So we need to make sure that and Lloyds have already committed that they will address the consortium model and make that easier, particularly for smaller players who rely on a following market when they are leaders. Um, somebody expressed worry to me about would this make it easier for uh, a leader who went a bit rogue or just made a mistake on a Friday afternoon or something when they were tired? The slip of the pen. Um, with this, could this imperil the market at all? I mean, if we, if we, if leaders are able to swing much, much bigger lines without as much, quite as much scrutiny uh, from the following market as 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 that what they're accustomed to, um, is that a problem? As, as or and for example, has the regulator worried about that? Uh? Um, I, I think that we need to ensure that we're meeting the standards, and leaders need to make sure that they're meeting the standards, and the firms. When they're attesting that they meet those standards, they need to make sure that they're doing that consistently and regularly. I'd like to look forwards and, and think about, you know, what are the consequences of this um, change? Uh, what are the broader consequences? Uh, well, for example, one thing is, what about what's in it for individuals? Uh, is there, you know, this is a market of individuals, and the listeners to this uh, podcast will be individuals, and they'll be thinking, do I need to do anything? Do I have to go and do some new exams to make? 
me be prove that I'm a leader and go and go to the CII and get some special Lloyd's leader exam or something. I don't know what's in it for one. It, is it really a corporate level thing? It's you know it's a managing agency level uh, change. Uh, let's can we sort of deal with that and back that out of the way. So uh, yes, I think we should that um, the. When a firm is attesting whether it meets the standards or not, it will do that by class of business. So it might choose, back to the marine example we were talking about earlier, I'm a leader in cargo and hull, but I'm a follower in marine liability based on what I see as a managing agent, what I see from my own numbers, what I see from the marketplace. You know, I might be already following 90% of the time. And, and I know some firms have already started looking at their, uh, analyzing their own books to say, what are my results when I lead in that class and what are my results when I follow in that class? And that's, uh, I, my understanding is that's throwing up some interesting um, analysis often when one leads one one gets better results but in some some classes that's not been the case um, when some firms have looked at it so i think that it, it is down to the firm to make that decision themselves. so it's much more spread um it, actually there are plenty of leaders that aren't other in bottom quartile is, that, is what you say well look at what the results were last year so quartile one had a combined ratio of 93 percent or 92 and 93 percent and quartile four in lloyd's had a combined ratio of 133%. So, uh, uh, and I've questioned Lloyd's about that. What's the lead follow mix within both of those quartiles? And it's roughly even. So it's not that it's all leaders who are, are in the um, in that uh, quartile one. There's, there's a mix, and the mix is roughly consistent between the two. There are no trends there around it's only those who follow who get the, w the worst results. There are some leaders who are getting poor results today. And again, from an individual's perspective, if they're working at a leader and they're perhaps being offered a job or a op really good opportunity at uh, currently a follower to perhaps you know go and uh, uh, open up an account in that line of business in which they're currently a leader, uh, what would be the process around that? Um, is that going to be easy for them to do or is it, is, is it going to be difficult? So we'd like to make that as, as easy as possible, but we need to ensure that the firm is going to be able to attest that it, that it meets those standards. That's what this is about. So, you know, there are lots of debates around how, well, how do you know that underwriter A, when they move from firm one to firm two, how, how do you know whether that's a, is that, is that a suitable track record or not? And, and we're working through that at the moment to try and articulate that with Lloyds as to, as to what the right process is around that. I think there aren't any clear cut answers on that yet but what we want to make sure is that that uh, the firms still are out there and if they want to go into a particular line of business then that's what they should do if that's the right thing for that firm something that caught my eye uh, again this is about how things are going to change something that caught my eye in blueprint one was a phrase about followers having to learn to be world-class portfolio managers and let's talk about the sort of skills that that is going to entail and and whether these skills are, are are new to the market, um, they seem to be very. It sounds like something, and this new follower sounds like someone who you know is not a standard underwriter, for example. Yeah, th I think this this new follower, in terms of a portfolio manager, is much more of a data scientist. Um, than a, a, a risk selector, so to speak. Th though it is, obviously, the risk selection is involved from a, um, a risk a, a 
defining one's risk appetite. So, so that's the first part that obviously obviously needs um, uh, underwriting skill set. But then what we're talking about in terms of follow is that portfolio management and ensuring that the portfolio is balanced, that ensure, ensuring that, you know, you're monitoring the data to say you're not overexposed in location one versus location two according to your risk appetite. But this becomes a much more data science driven conversation um, as part of that portfolio management skill set. And it is a different skill set to to what's out there today. I think there are some really, really strong portfolio managers out, out there today. But do I, do I perceive that to be a really common skill set out there in the market at the moment? Not quite as much as I would have thought. So these, these followers are going to be much more like stock pickers, aren't they? They're going to be not too much of this, not too much of that. I pick the. I like to pick. I, I, I pick the leaders. I pick them like stocks. Let's let, let's say, and I uh, don't want to get overexposed to one or another. Um, but they, yeah, so they're going to be much more analytical. And is the market going to be doing more to to sort of help provide some of that analytics or? I think we will need to do that as part of the, the new new systems that come on board. So it needs to be able to provide that, that data in a very slick, quick and efficient way uh, compared to how it happens today. And, and, and one, may, one waiting for the data to come back via USM, for example, or an SCM on, on claims. Um, underwriting signing message and syndicate claims message before you before you uh, give out to me around, around three-letter acronyms. But the the data coming back in that way is quite it's slow because it's dependent on, on it going through the whole process, first of all, before it comes back. So what we need to get to is a, uh, a set of systems that provide that data as quickly as is possible back to those followers. And that, that should be a matter of minutes, not a matter of weeks as it is today. Um, what are people's most common concerns obviously you've had a bit of uh, a good t- a bit of time now with uh, people that able to give you your uh, their 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 honest sort of initial feedback uh, to all of this so what are the things they're most worried about i think probably the thing that people are most worried about is around um uh, is this going to just concentrate down the market to a few leaders um and is that where this is going to end up and is lloyd's only about bigger players which i think is a is a fair question to ask and it's one of the main reasons why we are um, very uh, hot under the collar around uh, ensuring that we build a consortium model that makes it easier for those smaller and mid-sized syndicates to um, uh, play on a level playing field with those larger syndicates. So that's so that's you're saying categorically, it's just it's nothing to do with big. It's nothing big and to do with big and small. This is about the best underwriting expertise. And for me, if you look at the light touch syndicates, and, and I Lloyd's have not told me who are in the light touch syndicates who I, I'm. I'm just basing it on what I've read in the press. If you look at who 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 supposedly are the light touch syndicates, there's only two big players in there, and that's been publicly in the in the press as being Hiscox and Beasley. All of the others that have been named are actually small to mid-sized players. So those are all already some of our leading underwriters. They are already there. We just need to make it easier and more simple for them to be our leaders and uh, in the fu- as well in this future model. And what are the things that people like the most that they really, you know, they really clap their hands when they when they read it? it, it it's even though it's a secondary benefit. One of the things that CEOs uh, clap their hands around is around the um, potential for cost savings in the future. But it's, I, I think, when I speak to chief on, at a chief underwriter level, it's about raising the game for everybody and raising the game for everybody to meet the same underwriting standards. And that they think is important across this market. 
So how do people get involved? Is it too late uh, to get involved in this consultation? Absolutely not. So I'd encourage people to reach out to me directly uh, and into the or in, through their LMA committees. We already started discussions across all of the committees, actually. I was uh, in with our regulatory committee last week and our operations committee the week before, as well as each and all of the underwriting and committees. And brokers too. And brokers too. So I think I'm in with Leva again next week on this topic. So looking forward to it. Yes, and just run us back through that timetable again. Um, it's proofs of concept. Uh, so proof next of concept in the first half of next year, yeah. uh, with then with a view to for in one class, with a view to that class then being um, uh, su- subject to business planning and lead follow within business planning just in that class, uh, with a view to it going live then on the first of April. Uh, sorry, first of January, twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. So that's when it's all going to really, really hit rubber. Yes. It's going to hit the road. Yeah, that's the intention. Well, is there anything else that we you think we is there you've got a final message to everybody to say you know is there is is there a kind of a slogan or a message or something that uh, you, you want to get people behind this or or, or also anything that you think we should have discussed that we haven't discussed? This is all about underwriting discipline and underwriting standards as well as the the claims and reg compliance standards. It's about standards and making sure that we all meet the same standards uh, and and high standards because we are the market of choice. You know, we we are the world leaders in insurance within Lloyd's. So we need to demonstrate how we do that through these standards. The other appeal I'd make is everybody's focusing on the leader. And I think there's actually a hugely attractive role here as a follower and potentially for setting up follow-only syndicates in the future. And I would urge people to look at that calmly and uh, and coolly, with cool heads, around what could this be for me and what, how could I run this sort of a, uh, of, of a small syndicate within my managing agent that has a perhaps a mix of a, a lead syndicate and, and a follow syndicate because there are huge um, process efficiencies in the future that could come from this. Well, thanks very much, Sheila. This, this is a, a, a debate that is going to continue because this is a very much a movable feast and very much ongoing. So thank you very much for listening and thank you very much to Sheila. Thank you. The Voice of Insurance is produced by Mark Gagan with original music by Anna Gagan. Check out thevoiceofinsurance.com for additional commentary and to sign up for more episodes.